Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Merry Christmas. Yes, it's the first Sunday of Advent and I made up my mind this year. I'm going to say Merry Christmas every week that I see you. Merry Christmas to you all. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And if you've looked at the bulletin, you'll see that we'll be spending some time throughout the service reading through Luke chapter 1. And we will intersperse those readings with some with some songs, some singing. Uh, But Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abiah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This is the word of the Lord. Take your hymnals this morning, open to number 244. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, number 244. Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art dear desire. seated. We'll continue our reading now with, once again, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, picking up the story again in verse 18. After the angel has announced this most amazing message to Zechariah, let's note Zechariah's response. Verse 18, he says, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, he asks for a sign. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Ask for a sign, you're going to get one, I guess. What a sign indeed. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Turn now in your hymnals to number 249. O come all ye faithful, you may remain seated as we sing. Number 249. Oh, come, all ye faithful, 
joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. We continue our reading now with verse 39. I'm sorry, verse 26. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. We'll turn to one last song. And this one is not a traditional Christmas song, but number 358, Because He Lives. 358. sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he Because he lives, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child. 
days because he lives because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because i know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives and then one day i'll cross the river i'll fight life's final war with pain and then as death gives way to see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth just because he lives. Amen. We continue with verse 39. Verse 39 in Luke's Gospel. In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Picking up with verse 57, and we'll take it through to the end of the chapter. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. 
he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. Last week, I gave you a different kind of Thanksgiving sermon. It was a big picture look at Thanksgiving. This week, I'd like to give you a different kind of Christmas or Advent sermon. And I really don't even want to call it a sermon. I want to give you a big picture look at something. I want to give you a key that maybe you can keep with you. And it'll help you in your own reading and understanding of scriptures. You know the old principle of uh, give a man a fish or teach a man to fish, right? Recently in our home, as I was cleaning out a cabinet, I came across some old keys. All of the interior doors in our house, all of the original ones anyway, have old locks on them that use skeleton keys. Now, I'm not sure that everybody here knows what a skeleton key is. And I don't want to scare any young ones who might not know what a skeleton key is. So I'm going to walk this back so that you can have a look. So we've got keys. Keys that open and close doors in our house. And this morning I want to give you all something that I consider to be a pretty good key for reading through the scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. And the name of this key, I call it the Deuteronomy 32 world view that's a mouthful just saying deuteronomy is a mouthful it's the fifth book of the bible the deuteronomy 32 world view a world view is the way you look at the world the world that you live in and in deuteronomy chapter 32 we do find a way of looking at the world and understanding the world that maybe we are not familiar with, but I want you to get familiar with it because it helps in the reading of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. Uh, this is a section of Scripture that is 
titled The Song of Moses. And here in verses 8 and 9, we find something very curious. It says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the people of Israel. We're going to pause there for a moment because we have what I believe to be a bad translation in our English Bible in this section. And it's because of something that's very curious, very strange. If, um, if we were to consult the scriptures, the translation that Jesus and his apostles were familiar with and quoted from, we would have to consult the Greek version of the Old Testament. It had a fancy name. They called it the Septuagint. Sometimes it's, uh, it's abbreviated by three letters, LXX. Sometimes you'll see that pop up in the footnotes of your Bible, LXX, Septuagint. That was the name of the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures. The apostles and Jesus quoted from it all the time. If we consult that version of the Hebrew Scriptures, we find something different here. It says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God or the heavenly beings. It doesn't say according to the number of the people of Israel. Well, how can we know that that Greek translation is a faithful one? Why should we trust it? Well, number one, I'd say because Jesus and the apostles quoted from it. But uh, number two, I would also say because in the 1940s, something was discovered over in Israel. The Dead Sea Scrolls. You ever heard of those? The Dead Sea Scrolls. These were old copies of the Hebrew scriptures, which had been rolled up, stuck in a jar, hidden in a cave. And they sat there for 2,000 years or more. Anyway, when the Dead Sea Scrolls are consulted, they agree with the Septuagint at this point that he set the boundaries of the peoples, the nations of the earth, according to the number of the sons of God or the number of the heavenly beings. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his own inheritance. This is a very strange and curious thing, and it's a worldview that we are not familiar with. What is being talked about here in Deuteronomy 32 is that there was a time, a point in history, when the Lord divided the peoples of the earth, split them up into nations, and then he handed each one of those nations over to the the supervision, the oversight of a heavenly being an angel, a son of God, not in the sense that Jesus is the only unique son of God, but in the sense of being an angel, an angelic being, a heavenly being. But the Lord retained one nation for himself, one people. He said, Israel is my inheritance. That belongs to me. I'm keeping that piece of the pie. Now, can any of you think back to a time that you know of in the scripture when the peoples of the earth were divided and split up? And it's okay if you want to answer. You can raise your hand. Can you think of any time that you maybe learned about in Sunday school when all the peoples of the earth were divided and split up into different nations? 
I saw a hand starting. Do you have it? You're right. Absolutely right. The Tower of Babel, for those of you in the back who maybe didn't hear. um, After the days of Noah, people began to multiply and fill the earth again. But they didn't spread out. They said, we're going to stay right here. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower. We're not going to be scattered. And they staged a rebellion against God. It was not the first time that a rebellion had happened. There had been two rebellions prior to that. The very first one happened in a garden, a perfect environment. A husband and his wife rebelled disobeyed the explicit, clear command of the Lord, don't eat from that tree. But they did. And it brought consequences. And then if we follow their family line down through the generations, we finally reach a time when the earth was filled with so much wickedness and violence that God said, that's it. I'm starting over. I'm wiping this slate clean, and I'm starting the human race all over again And I'm starting it with that guy right there, Noah. I'm taking Noah and his family, and I'm making a fresh start. And that precipitated the event that we know as the flood, right? And God started over with Noah. Noah's sons had children. Their children had children. The earth was filling up again, but everyone was in one place, and they staged another Massive rebellion. They build a tower. Nate told us, Tower of Babel. And God came down to look at their work. And he confused their languages. He divided the peoples of humanity into all these different people groups, all these different nations. And Deuteronomy 32 tells us that when he did this, He gave administrative oversight of each of these nations, each of these people groups, to a different heavenly being. But he said, I'm holding on to a piece of humanity for myself. Jacob, Israel, that will be my inheritance. The rest of the nations, I'm turning over, govern them, rule them, lead them in paths of righteousness and justice, but I'm keeping Jacob for myself. That's the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. We can pick up traces of this throughout scriptures, and and two of the most notable places are in the Psalms. Psalm 82. Psalm 82 reads, God stands in the divine assembly. Divine assembly? What's that? That's this heavenly council of heavenly beings that he had divided the nations up under. The divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. Who are the gods? The gods are these heavenly beings, these supernatural beings that have oversight of the nations. It says that God stands up and he's going to judge them. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. In other words, these supernatural beings who had oversight of the nations didn't do a good job of it. 
they didn't do what they should have done. Instead of promoting justice and righteousness, they led the peoples of these nations into greater and greater wickedness. It continues, they do not know or understand. They wander in darkness, that is the peoples of the nations. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. God is speaking here again. He says, I said, you are God's. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. That's interesting. God's speaking to these supernatural beings and he says, I called you sons of God. But I'm going to judge you. You're all going to die like mortal human beings. You're going to fall like any other ruler. And then the psalmist cries out at the end of the psalm. He says, rise up, God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. The psalmist is crying out. He says, the the situation in my day is horrible. If you just look at the nations that are being ruled by these, these gods who haven't done what is right and good and just. God, we need you to step back into the game here. We need you to judge the nations. They belong to you. Yes, you kept Israel as your little slice of the pie, but all the nations belong to you. And God, we need you to act. We need you to do something. We need you to straighten out this mess. Psalm 89, just seven chapters later, we find some of these same ideas being expressed in verses 5 through 11. It says, Lord, the heavens praise your wonders your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. There we are again, that idea of a divine council, an assembly of supernatural beings. Not that they are anywhere near being on the same level of God. They aren't self-existent. They were created, but they are nonetheless supernatural in that they're not of our world the assembly of the holy ones. Who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Lord of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. In the Hebrew scriptures, the sea is almost always a picture of the nations. The nations of the world under the rule and oversight of these supernatural beings who haven't done a good job. The nations are as tumultuous as the raging, roaring sea. But the psalmist says, you, Lord, you rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Dropping down to verse 11, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. Again, the psalmist is crying out, God, you have to do something here. The world's a mess. Do you ever feel like that? (laughs) The world's a mess. God, we need you to act and do something. Here's the outline, the key to the Bible. God created humanity, humankind. He made human beings to be in a special relationship and fellowship with him in this world. We were made for special relationship and fellowship with the living God. 
But then we had that thing called the fall that happened in Eden when our oldest set of grandparents rebelled. Then we had that thing called the flood where God started over with a new man and a new woman, Noah and his wife. And then we had that thing called Babel where God finally said, enough. I'm confusing the languages. I'm dividing the peoples. I'm splitting up the nations and I'm putting them all underneath your oversight, my divine counsel, my heavenly assembly. They're all underneath you. And then that went bad, right? That's just awful. But God says, I'm holding on to a piece of that pie for myself. Jacob, Israel will be my inheritance. We begin that story when God calls a man named Abram and says, I want you to go to a land I'll show you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. I'm going to curse everyone who curses you. And in your descendant, your seed, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. We don't want to lose sight of that. That's the seed promise. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. The promised seed. And the Apostle Paul tells us who that seed is. That descendant of Abraham that was being referred to is none other than Jesus Christ the Lord. God promises Abram way back when, I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth through your seed, your descendant. Wait a second, I thought God wiped his hands clean of all the nations at the Tower of Babel and said, I'm just holding on to Jacob. Yeah, that's what he said. But he had a long view, he had a purpose. He wasn't holding on to one piece to the exclusion of all the rest, just like those chocolate bars this morning. One people were chosen to bring God's blessing to all of the nations, all of the families of the world, so that there would be hope for all, not just chocolate for all, but hope for all through Jesus Christ our Lord. God called Abram, and then, as we continue reading the scriptures, we read about how God grew a nation out of Abram's descendants. And he did it in a place that offered no advantages. The superpower of the world system, Egypt. He grew a nation in the midst of slavery. And then he redeemed that nation out of slavery and brought them out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness, brought them into a foreign land, Canaan, and then he planted them there by supplanting. That means removing the seven wicked nations of the Amorites that he was judging. And all of this was the beginning so that God could bring his salvation to all the nations of humanity. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Matthew says, large crowds followed Jesus and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
Isaiah said, Here is my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. The gospel writer Matthew recognized that the nations were part of God's plan of redemption. They would put their hope in the name of Jesus. The apostle Paul picked up this idea as well. Romans chapter 3, verses 29 and 30. Incidentally, all of these scriptures are listed for you at the bottom of your bulletin, so don't stress about trying to write down the references if you like to do that sort of thing. They're all there for you. Romans 3, 29. Paul says, is God the God of Jews only? The answer is an obvious no. Is he not the God of Gentiles, that is the nations too? Yes, of the nations too. Since there is one God who will justify the Jews by faith and the Gentiles through faith. Romans 15 verses 8 through 13. Paul says, For I say that Christ became a servant of Israelites on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers so that the nations may glorify God for his mercy as it is written therefore I will praise you among the nations and I will sing praise to your name again it says rejoice you nations with his people and again praise the Lord all you nations let all the peoples praise him and again Isaiah says The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the nations. The nations will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how much the nations are involved in what the apostles had to say? Where would the apostles get these ideas? Was this a new thing that they were proclaiming? Not at all. They were simply being good students of the scriptures. They saw what the prophets of old had said and they recognized that it was being fulfilled in their lifetime. How many of you like medleys? You know what a medley is? Medley is whenever you take a bunch of songs and you put them together, like one by one, you get a little piece of each. It was several years ago, Val and I were on a cruise And we were up on one of the decks of the ship and there was a young man there who was playing guitar. He had been hired by the cruise ship to play the guitar. And he said, any requests? And uh, I said, well, do you have any Beatles in your songbook? Can you play any Beatles tunes? And so he sat there and because there were no other requests coming in, he played a wonderful medley of Beatles tunes. He must have played at least a dozen different songs. You didn't get the whole song. You got parts of each one. He played a medley. I'd like to read a medley for you this morning as we, as we conclude our service. And this medley comes from one of the favorite prophets that Jesus and the apostles turned to over and over again. This comes from Isaiah. And these medley of verses are listed for you at the bottom of your bulletin. You don't need to turn to them, but if you want to consult them for future reference, it's there for you. A medley from Isaiah. Isaiah 42. We've already seen uh, verses 1 through 7 quoted 
in the Matthew passage. So we're going to skip over that. We're going to get to Isaiah 51, verses 4 through 5. Pay attention to me, my people. Listen to me, my nation, for instruction will come from me and my justice for a light to the nations. I will bring it about quickly. My righteousness is near. My salvation appears and my arms will bring justice to the nations. The coasts and the islands will put their hope in me and they will look to my strength. Isaiah 52, 9 and 10. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm. Incidentally, whenever you come across that phrase in the prophets, the arm of the Lord, his holy arm, my own arm has accomplished this for me, that's that's a flat-out reference to the Christ, the Messiah. That's what's being referred to there. That's another key you can hold on to. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Dropping down to verses 14 and 15. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Isaiah 56, 7 and 8. I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Who will he bring to the holy mountain? The the nations. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. Isaiah 60, 1 through 4. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the people's. I think that's speaking of that time when the nations were placed under the administrative rule of this heavenly council. But the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nursing mothers. Isaiah 66, verse 23. All humanity will come to worship me, says the Lord. The Deuteronomy 32 worldview. There was a time when God divided the peoples. He split the nations up. Paul references this. In Acts chapter 17, when he gives his testimony there on Mars Hill in Athens, among all of the intelligentsia and philosophers of the day, he said there was a time when God set the bounds and the times, the boundaries of all the nations. And he didn't hide from them. He waited to see if they might find him because he's not hard to find. But now he has appointed a time wherein he will judge the world in righteousness. Yes, our God reigns and he rules now over the nations 
of the world. All of this is to say that when the Lord divided the nations of mankind at Babel and gave them over to the members of the heavenly council, it was not for the purpose of abandoning the nations of mankind. When he started over again with a man called Abram, and from him grew a nation in Egypt, well, it was not to bless one nation and curse all the others. Remember his words to Abram, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When he redeemed that nation called Israel and planted it in Canaan, it was not for the purpose of forever cutting off all other nations. No. In fact, I think that there was this tendency among the people of Israel, at least some of them, to have this idea, hey, we're special. We were chosen out of all the nations of the world. God threw them all away in order to get us. But no, not at all. In his wisdom, God had reserved one nation for himself so that through it might come the one who would be the hope of all nations, Christ the Lord, through whom he would call all nations to himself, through whom he would draw all humanity back into a vital relationship and fellowship with himself. It's all through Jesus Christ, the hope of the nations. Let that thought ring in your hearts, in your minds, this Advent season. Jesus Christ is the hope of all peoples. All people need to hear about him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great and certain hope that you have bestowed to humanity in the name that is given that is above all other names. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus, the name that was given to Mary by the angel. Jesus, the Savior, he is the hope of all peoples. May we never forget it. May we always share it. And if we have not trusted in his name and his name alone, may this Advent season be the time that we do it. To your great praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our great hope, we pray. Amen. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of all peoples, all nations, be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.